Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. JR, it is a beautiful day. Good to see you this morning, Doug. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we uh, we are we now have Thanksgiving behind us, and it's crazy to think we're starting the march towards here we are Christmas. Here we are in the Christmas season. Yes, and and last episode <laughs> you you mentioned your favorite time of year, Black Friday. Uh, <laughs> no, oh, I just love it. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because as we're moving towards Christmas, it just feels like there are these two very very opposite trajectories. You have a cultural trajectory of consumerism of more and more and more and you have this the christian narrative of 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 incarnation and giving and and you know sacrifice and life best lived with with uh, there's a term you used recently like with your arrows pointed out yeah and i know that you've been really thinking a lot over the years about what it means to live life just with your arrows out so you want yeah. to talk a little bit about that and also about some really exciting news yeah, uh, just not too long ago, uh, after three years of work, uh, defended my dissertation successfully. So very excited about that. And um, so it was just a handful of weeks ago, but um, my in May, my dad and I were on a trip to Turkey and Greece. And one night over dinner, we were in Istanbul. He said, okay, you're going to be graduating soon. Now what? Uh, what do you think you want to do? And he wasn't asking, he was just curious, you know, he's a good question asker and, and um, you know, what do you anticipate doing after that? And I just reflected on my four passions of just uh, Christ and making him known, opportunities for theological education and learning. I love learning, uh, equipping and serving um, hungry kingdom leaders, and then encouraging and uh, advocating for the persecuted church. And so then the question back was, what if I took my four passions now that I'm done and squished them all together? And then what popped out was this big dream that kind of became clarified on the, this bridge. We were having this wonderful dinner overlooking this beautiful, the Bosphorus River there in Istanbul. And so then this big dream kind of dropped in my heart and it was, what would it look like now that I've received my, my doctorate, now that I'm done with that, what would it look like, arrows pointing out, to fund the entire education for 100 pastors in Bible colleges in poor countries and regions of the world that's hostile to Christianity? And what was interesting is that we were already in Turkey, and a few days later, we ended up going to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, uh, we read in Acts 19, in fact, I'll just read it here. It says, Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And uh, while the hall of Tyrannus, the ruins have never been found, I was so moved walking around Ephesus of thinking this, what we're trying to do with Kairos Partnerships, this podcast, we're really trying to do Hall of Tyrannus type stuff in the spirit of what Paul kind of uh, had us in. And so um, realizing arrows pointing out my educational journey doesn't end with me. And so what if we invested in these countries um, where instead of giving people fish, we're teaching people how to fish. In fact, people are eager. They're just on the shore. They've even identified the fishing holes. They just look around and go, but we don't, we can't even afford fishing equipment. Mm. And, uh, and so that's when my heart 
really, really got um, caught up into this. And so we've identified two Bible colleges that already exist, that we have relationships with them, one in India, one in Pakistan, where we can do something about it. And so anyway, all that to say, we're really excited. I know our church is behind this, and we're talking with some other churches as well about these two Bible colleges and working with them to see students funded. The students are waiting. In fact, the schools have been on hold because the funding isn't there right now this semester. And so there's this urgency, I feel, to say, ah, what would it look like for us to supply and fully fund 50 students in Pakistan, 50 uh, in India? And so we created this uh, initiative called the Hall of Tyrannus Initiative. And so what's crazy to me when I dug into this is that to sponsor one student in India for two years, which is kind of ironic because in the Acts 19 passage, Paul taught for two years, Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. two years of this Bible college education. Um, It's $40 a month for two years. So that's under $1,000, $960 per pastor for two years of training in India. And Pakistan, which doesn't include room and board, is half that. It's $20 a month. um, Which $480 for two years for the length of their entire Bible college education. This is unbelievable. And there's a waiting list and there are classroom size issues. They're just waiting for funding right now. That's the only thing keeping them back. And uh, so all that to say, we are super excited about this at Advent, that our church is getting behind this. A lot of churches have an Advent giving uh, process. And so anyway, if anybody wants to know more information, we would love for individuals, for families, for churches to be involved. We even have created an advent calendar um, where each day families can work through, like for example, put five cents in the jar for every degree your house is heated today. Mm. 10 cents for every pair of socks that you own. A uh, dollar for every bicycle that your family owns. Put it in the jar and then at the end of the month, give that money towards these pastors. So anyway, if you want to know more information about it, it's kairospartnerships.org slash H-T-I stands for Hall of Tyrannus. So kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, kairospartnerships.org slash H-T-I. So love for you all to join us in this. And um, yeah, uh, I, I'm moved by this. I cry a lot when I talk about this. Wes Stafford, the former president of Compassion International, he said, everyone needs a cause that moves them to tears in 30 seconds or less. And I have found mine. <laughs> and so it's true. we're going to, and it's not that we're not going to give gifts to people or family members, but to really devote, like instead of receiving and getting, but like, how do we live as pipes, not buckets, as we talk in our church, arrows pointing out of giving as this countercultural revolution of Jesus, instead of receiving this consumerism mindset of giving outward to other people. And I'm just jazzed about this. So, yeah. And JR, it's, it's very evident. I remember uh, you telling, I'm so glad this is actually public now and it's not something we have to sit (laughs) on, but I remember when you first shared it with me, uh, man, both of us just tears in our eyes and just thinking about um, brothers and sisters in these very hostile places of the gospel who are, have, who have, they've been transformed deeply by the gospel, but they need the information so that, and the education so that they can go in authority and just like move and train and equip uh, people. And, and just, I'm like, man, I was so moved it, Hmm. you know, we have um, 
you know, we, we, we're already sponsoring someone. We have yeah. a picture on yeah. our refrigerator and every morning, my family, we wake up and we pray blessing, uh, on, on this, this young lady who is going to have an education. Yeah. And it's just like the most exciting freaking thing in the world yeah. to think that like when I walk around even my neighborhood and I walk past people who are, who are from, and homes that I know of where people are from Bangladesh mm-hmm. and India and Pakistan mm-hmm. to think that like this yeah. is making a difference. It like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's so much better than buying a new raincoat. I'm going to put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's moved us to tears. I mean, my family and I, I, it, if you sponsor, uh, you like have a picture sent to you with the name and the age and the location where your person is. We can't say these, um, publicly. We can't even put them on the website because of safety and danger, like privacy issues. Um, um, one of the, 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 our friends, Doug and I have a friend who was just with us at our church recently named Pastor Silva. And Pastor Silva, um, he was sharing that the the missionaries and the students that he's had, that he, there have been six of them that have been murdered. Three of the um, funerals that he's attended and actually led and have pictures on my computer of those funeral um, services that he's led of these missionaries. And they say, I will die for the gospel. I will do this, which my goodness, that inspires me and challenges me and encourages me to no end that people are willing to sign up in places of such great hostility, knowing they could be shot on the way to class. I don't worry about that when I go teach my seminary classes. Uh, my students don't worry about that. Um, but to know through Pastor Pastor Silva that uh, they prepare their students physically, how to respond to torture, spiritually, biblically, but also legally. What do you do if you're accused of something you didn't do? How to find legal help. Um, those are not courses that we take in our <laughs> seminaries and Bible colleges here. And uh, I'm just amazed. So anyway, we've got a hundred, several of them are already sponsored, which is just wonderful. But man, we just would love to see either one-time gift given to the general fund or uh, sponsoring a student and we'll send you their name. Uh, men and women in both Pakistan and India, you and I, I think both have women students, uh, female students, which is great. And uh, young and old, male, female, India, Pakistan, it's pretty cool to it's be a super, part of this. And yeah. um Super cool. Yeah. I think of the American missionary, um, David Brainerd, who went to the Native Americans about 250 years ago in New Jersey. And uh, David Brainerd, he died at 31, um, but had an amazing ministry. And he said this in his journal, God, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. Ugh. And so as I think about, you know, graduating here uh, in a few months, um, of thinking I would love to use my graduation to see a hundred of our persecuted brothers and sisters graduate. That's sort of my, my platform as I, and I want to go to their graduation. So part of that general fund is to like, I want to go and Doug, I want you to come with me Dude, uh, to actually go to train them. Uh, but we've already been invited to India to go train these pastors, but also attend their graduation. So anyway, you can tell I'm a little excited, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For but, our interview today. <laughs> but if you want to join us, again, one last time, mm-hmm. kairospartnerships.org slash HTI. There's a video on there. There's next steps. If you want to give, we would love for you to jump in on this. Um, 
we're not benefiting from this. We're not taking any money from this. This is going towards the organization that you can read about on the website there. And just so you know, they will all be in our show notes. And so mm-hmm. please feel free to check them out, browse it, watch the video. Uh, and yeah, we're really pumped to be able to, to hitch our wagons to this really amazing opportunity. Carolyn Custis James is an activist, blogger, and award-winning author. Her books include Finding God in the Margins, Maelstrom, Half the Church, and The Gospel of Ruth. She blogs at carolyncustisjames.com and is a leading voice at Missio Alliance. She's also published articles for the Huffington Post religion section. She's a member of the Evangelicals for Justice and serves on many different advisory boards. She's also the founder and president of the Synergy Women's Network for Women Active in or Preparing for Ministry Occupations. Her work focuses on the intersection between Christianity and 21st century cultural issues facing women and men globally and has earned her recognition by Christianity Today as one of the 50 evangelical women to watch. Enjoy this conversation with Carolyn Custis James. Well, Carolyn, we're really glad that you could join us here this morning. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I'm really here. Yes. (laughs) Yes. In the flesh. This is not a a screen version of you. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times we do it recorded on Zoom and you're here in the office. Which is great. Monday morning, Pastor World Headquarters. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, well, thank you for being with us. I know that your work, you deal a lot with uh, the importance of women and their role in the church and leadership. And there has been something, uh, a firestorm uh, culturally over the last few years with the Me Too and now the Church Too movement. Mm. Can you unpack that a little bit? Maybe we've heard that term. We've read about it. Maybe online we've seen the hashtag. What is the Me Too and Church Too movement? Okay. Well, what preceded them was the fact that there were episodes of sexual harassment and sexual abuse. And we've known about this, but we've just known episodes. And we've known it's in the church and we've known that it's in the wider culture. But what happened was that a few... It's sort of a combination of a few survivors who stepped forward to tell their stories. And often it was the, the secular media, the newspapers, that investigated what these women were saying and uh, put it in print. And then it had to be it had to be dealt with. It happened with the Roman Catholic Church, mm. with the spotlight investigative team of um the Boston Globe. Yeah, Boston Globe. I, you yeah. know, and I always tell people you you need to watch that movie. That's a hard movie to watch, it's but it's important. Hard, I've watched it three times yeah. and it just every time the impact is the same. Mm. But when I'm watching what's happened what happened in the Catholic Church, I'm looking through Protestant eyes. Yeah. Because we were already seeing situations where there had been sexual abuse and where uh, there was cover-up mm. and where um, big-name evangelical leaders we all know mm-hmm. were circling the wagons and protecting the ones who were in the crosshairs mm. for this. And, it, you know, there were a lot of us who were very upset about that. Um, what happened was after, you know, the Catholic uh, 
when they became exposed, it was like in 2002 and the movie came out in 2015. And there were um, evangelical leaders saying uh, when it started to explode on the Protestant side of things, well, we thought this was a we thought this was a Catholic problem mm. of clergy abuse of children. Um, but what we've discovered since then is that it's it's even a bigger problem mm. among Protestant and evangelical churches. And the problem that we face is, you know, we don't have a centralized organization like the Catholics do with Rome. So we're scattered. And so you hear about something happens over here and something happens over there. And it sort of took the, the, the few women who stepped forward, like Ashley Judd was one mm -hmm. of the first one to step oh, forward, yeah. accuse Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these big name people began to um, big name men who had been harassing women they're in positions of power. The women are afraid of losing their job. Mm -hmm. And so they get into these difficult situations mm -hmm. where he's using his power to coerce her to do things that she doesn't want to do mm -hmm. and feels cornered. And mm -hmm. um, Harvey Weinstein got away with it for years. So did Roger Ailes. So did Bill O'Reilly, mm -hmm. you know, or in the Matt Lauer. Yeah, yeah, the names go on. And even, you know, one of the horrifying situations for a lot of women that we don't talk about much was in the presidential election when mm -hmm. the when the Access Hollywood mm -hmm. tape mm -hmm. came out and a, a group of evangelical leaders doubled down on their support, even mm -hmm. when women came out, mm -hmm. like over a dozen of them with accusations that um, Trump had done exactly what he was boasting about to mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that really registered with a lot of women, both mm -hmm. inside and outside the church, that, yeah. that, 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 that would happen. I mm -hmm. mean, some of these men were violating things they had spent careers fighting for, mm -hmm. like men protect women or you shouldn't bully and, you know, and so, you know, we have all of that backlog to this mm -hmm. and, what happened when the few stepped forward was that um, a hashtag that was already active among African-American women, the Me Too hashtag on Twitter, mm -hmm. got picked up and just exploded mm -hmm. on Twitter. And women were telling their stories and they were naming names and um, that some just wrote hashtag me too yeah they couldn't say yeah, we have some friends that we know and even in our church mm -hmm. that on social yes. media just yeah. wrote me too yeah. yeah so after that what happened was then we started seeing church too mm. hashtags and there were there was just a tsunami of mm. them and we didn't see that leaders didn't see that coming mm. they were blindsided by it okay so here we are in this situation and what we know is that one in four women and girls and one in six men and boys, by the time they are 18, mm. have been sexually abused. Mm. And that statistic isn't just outside the church. These survivors come inside the church uh. and we don't know they're there and they're not telling their stories. Um, you know, Heather, Dr. Heather Evans was in 
the um, one day seminar that we had just last Saturday on Me Too and Church Too and how we should confront it. And she explained the enduring trauma that comes from this, the shame, because a lot of times a young person gets lured into these situations and they don't know how to say no. That's what one of the survivors in the in spotlight said, mm. you know, when the priest had abused him, he said, how do you how do you say no to God? Mm. You know, so mm. survivors are with us. Um, a Christian college um, did a test and they handed everybody, all the students, a piece of paper and said, if you have been sexually abused, put an X on the paper and they collected all the papers mm. and then they redistributed them and said, if you got a piece of paper that has an X on it, stand up. It was shocking, mm. you know, so the survivors are with us mm. and things that are coming from the pulpit can be very hurtful, mm. you know, because we have me too stories in the Bible and they get glossed over or the woman gets blamed for what, mm somebody has done to her. Yeah, and that may not be something that we think about a lot. So what are some of those Me Too stories in Scripture? Just bring some of those, just kind of name a few of those for our okay. listeners. Um, I, I would say we have the story of Hagar that you mentioned earlier. Mm. Hagar was a slave, mm. and so she's trafficked, and she finds out that sex is part of the deal. Mm. You know, that's what happens to her. But we don't even talk about that with mm. her. You know, Jacob had two concubines, slave girls, no choice in the matter. Um, you know, you have the story of Esther where little girls are told she won a beauty contest, but she was trafficked as a, a very young girl. You know, the the biblical cult, the culture that the biblical story comes out of is a full-fledged patriarchal culture. Mm. It's a culture where when a girl hits puberty, she's marriageable because mm -hmm. there's a desperate quest for sons mm. in patriarchy, patriarchy, not daughters, but sons. And so when a girl hits puberty, she's ready to start producing, mm -hmm. you know. And so when you look at these girls in the Bible, you know, Hagar would have been a young girl. Esther would have been very young, mm. never married, never had a child. Um, same with Bathsheba. She mm -hmm. was probably very young. Mm. Um, and these are women who are cornered mm. and have no choice in what happens to them. And under patriarchy, a woman doesn't have any power. She has no agency. She has no legal rights. The only mm. protection she has is if she's if her father is living, if she's young, um, or a brother, or if she's married or has sons, mm. you know. So her any kind of protection she has is derived under patriarchy because legally they have nothing. Mm. Mm. So you know, you look at all these stories in the Bible, you know, even Mary and Joseph, that's a me too story. She gets pregnant. She has a crazy story. He can do whatever. I mean, she could have been stoned for, you know, what, what happened to her. And we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't, we're not, you know, looking at the cultural backdrop to these stories. Um, we have heroes 
you know, somebody wrote an article recently why it's easier for us to accept the fact that David was a murderer than that he was a rapist. Mm. So I'm just saying. Yeah. So how do you look at someone like Joseph uh, in terms of Me Too, Church Too, just how he interacted with Mary? Well, he is like the lead story Mm. in Matthew's gospel. And I think he gets marginalized. Mm. He's introduced as a righteous man. Well, that's what we hear about the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. But Matthew's gospel is introducing a whole different definition of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And Joseph embodies it. You know, I'm sure he was devastated by, you know, that she's lying, you know, and that this this has happened to her. I mean, think about Mm. all that he previously believed about her and now. And he could, you know, and in under the patriarchal ways of thinking, he should have um, vindicated his masculinity because mm. it was an affront to him. Mm. And um, and he doesn't. Mm. He's a, he's he's already showing us a new kind of righteousness mm. that is embodied by God's people, mm. and <clears throat> he. He decides he's going to divorce her privately. He's not going to make a spectacle out of her. I mean, it's just incredible that he would do that. Think about Afghanistan and the Taliban, how they would deal with a circumstance like that. Hmm. And, you know, the, the, the introduction of him as a righteous man could be the worst news for Mary, but it's incredible news for her. And what he does is he embodies the kind of righteousness that Jesus brings to us. It's sacrificial. It's on behalf of others. It's costing him because he's not, you know, he's embroiled in what she's looking like. And he ends up shutting down his carpenter shop and, investing himself in getting behind God's calling on his wife. I mean, it's so Mm. radical Mm. what happens there. We don't give him credit for that. And I just think he's, you know, he's one of the lost men of the Bible, you know, because we don't, we, we, he gets eclipsed. He gets Mm. lost among the shepherds and, you know, you don't know which guy is the shepherd and which guy is Joseph in all the nativity scenes right. we have. Well, they're all well. the same right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but carolyn i mean i've always had joseph as a hero but i've never thought about this no. through the lens of me too like this is unbelievable yeah. i've never thought about this so he's already been up here but i think you just threw him up about oh, four goodness. more levels for my me goodness, yes. uh, i've never seen it through the lens and what that. how much was riding on his involvement yeah, yeah. He, and what know. an example for jesus at a young age to see an yeah. earthly example oh. Of someone like that. Like what kind of, yeah, he's the son of God, but what kind of nature nurture, like where's the nurture of him, you know, more caught than taught of seeing my dad model this, my earthly dad. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I think one of the keys to unleashing the power of some of these biblical narratives is to look at them against the backdrop of patriarchy. What we've, the mistake we've made since 
early church fathers is to say patriarchy is the message, mm. a nuanced, softer, kinder, gentler mm. patriarchy mm. is the Bible's message. Instead of saying, no, it's not the message. The message mm. is so radical mm. and that that's the backdrop to the message. And when you put that backdrop in place, these narratives are explosive. on these texts, uh, Rachel Den Hollander has written an incredible book. If a, if a pastor reads her book, What is a Girl Worth? They will be exposed to every single dimension of Me Too and Church Too. Okay, great. And we'll put that in the show notes yeah. for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, she broke open the Larry Nasser case, yeah. right? At but Michigan at the State. same time, she was struggling with her church mm, because yeah. they were being supportive of a group that was covering up and yeah. refusing to do an, an independent and get investigation. Mm. And when she spoke up, they, and they've since apologized to her, I'll say that, but you know, they accused her of being divisive mm. and, you know, I mean, she, she lost friends over it and she ended up saying, you know, church is one of the least safe places to go for help. Mm. You know, she said very few people have found real help. Wow. from the church when they've gone to the leaders and said, this has happened to me, mm -hmm. um, you know? So um, another really powerful book was written by uh, Krista Brown. And she, both of these women are attorneys and she was abused by her youth pastor. She's Southern Baptist. And I, it's hard to believe how she was mistreated mm -hmm when she came forward with her story and always, you know, the statute of limitations has run out mm -hmm. on these crimes. Um, it never runs out in the church. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't look at it like that. And, you know, these, the, a lot of times these pastors are recycled into the system. Like just recently, um, Andy Savage of high point church was, you know, confessed to, um, and an Im improper relationship, but it was sexual abuse of uh, one of the girls in his youth group. And he's starting a new church plant. And, you know, these, these men shouldn't be back in business. And, and often they, they repeat what's happening. I talked to a group from a church who said that they had a pastor who was dismissed because he had an affair. He's been to two more churches and there have been two more affairs. Mm -hmm. So a married, married pastor. And we're seeing a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think too, but even just, you know, you mentioned something that's really, uh, I think for me is just really strikes at my pastoral heart. Like what, what needs to happen for a church to change that? So it does become the safe place. Um, are you noticing churches that are becoming that safe place for, for survivors where they can come and feel like they're actually loved and cared for and, and heard? I, 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 my sense is to be heard is one of the most important parts of the healing process to begin. But are there like 
just churches that you're hearing like beautiful stories of this happening yet, or is it still just, we're just like sort of still bearing witness to all the pain at this point? There are churches that are, that are doing things about it. Um, you know, when we did this seminar last weekend, um, we brought in, there were three pastors that participated in that. Um, we opened with Jimmy Hinton telling his story. Do you know about him? I don't know, Jimmy. So he he didn't choose to get involved with Church Two. He was he was pulled into it. It chose him because he found out that his own father, who was the pastor, was abusing girls in wow. the church, even members of his own family. I mean, it was it was a devastating story to hear and he just said you know his his first impulse was first of all to believe what he was hearing and 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 often the the question is what were you wearing you know how did you you know it's sexual abuse is an abuse of power first and foremost there's always a disparity in power and um you know, he he believed what he was being told. Mm. He didn't say, you know, ask all the typical questions that get asked. You know, women are always trying to get attention or, you right. know, it is so hard to come forward and talk about pain that happened to you maybe when you were a little girl. Mm. Um, but even as a grown woman, it's just totally disorienting. It's um, it's an assault on your sense of self and it's not something that's easy to talk about so when somebody comes forward you know and he believed her and he also said it was it was common sense that he needed to report and he went and his mom went with him they went to the police station Mm. and reported to the police and you know what what typically happens in churches is that Elders and pastors think that, you know, we handle our things internally, but this is a crime and you can't handle it. And and no pastor should be expected to have all the resources. Um, I will say that I think it's really, really important for women to be involved in the leadership Mm. of the church, to be able, you, you know, for a woman to go through, meet with the board of elders male elders is is an impossible situation and um so i think you know churches need to have people who are informed about this who have who have taken steps to educate themselves because none of us are ready for this and that are that are you know that somebody could go to um like rasul um Barry is a pastor who said, you know, we're we're going to put together a team here and we're going to have a, an email address and you put the name of the person you want to talk to mm. in that email and nobody else will look at that email so that they that there's a safe place to go that the people in the church know the professionals to mm. deal with so mm. they don't try to 
counsel or do therapy with somebody, mm. but they can call in somebody. So just to clarify, so on a practical level, Rasul is saying his church put a team together that would help deal with this and an email address the whole church knows about. Yeah. And they, is that, is that what, what you're saying? Did. You yeah. should talk to him. And then just have like, here, I want to talk to this person. So yeah. it's sort of semi-anonymous. But they, but need, I to want be, to talk they to... need to be people who have, have some understanding, have, you know, worked through some of the issues yeah. um, that aren't going to make it hard for somebody, mm. you, you know, to step forward. We can't afford to say, well, I'm not sure. And especially when mm. they accuse somebody who is really important to us, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And that's why you need outside help. Yeah. You need the professionals, you need the counselors mm-hmm. and, um, and you need law enforcement mm. and there are organizations like grace. Yeah. Talk about some of those resources or next steps. So you yeah. talk about Rasul, the email, that's a great next step because yeah. I think there that's are really, listeners really saying, I know this needs to be dealt with. It's so overwhelming and big and I'm not trained as a counselor. What can I do? An email, like that's an email address. That's a great idea. Um, give us some more resources that yeah. would be helpful to learn well, more about this. Grace is um, a really important organization. We also at Missio Seminary have mm-hmm. incredible resources mm-hmm. in our um, counseling department. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've said Heather Evans is another one mm-hmm. locally, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, there are just a lot of people that are, that are experts in this and mm-hmm. that have, have dealt with it and mm-hmm. have worked with um, the trauma because mm-hmm. it's, you get PSD. PTSD from absolutely yeah. yeah yeah so and it's such a betrayal especially when it's a clergy violation mm-hmm. um, but pastors need to know that they they're not equipped to handle all of this but if mm-hmm. somebody came forward and said someone just murdered my sibling or something you mm-hmm. wouldn't even think of handling it yourself yeah. Yeah. and these are crimes so. Um, you know, I think that I, I, again, I would say rec- read these books and find yeah. out what has happened that's been done wrong. There are a lot of um, people who are backpedaling and trying to, you know, mm-hmm. figure out <laughs> wh- where they went wrong in it. And there have been many, many mistakes that have been made and they just mm-hmm. make things worse. Mm-hmm. I think, too, that in the church we have to do some serious rethinking. Mm-hmm. Because the message that we preach for women and girls usually involves the words submission and silence. And there was just a sermon that went online from Sunday that was saying, you know, those are the, that's what women need to hear. And um, those two things, when they become our default response, put us at risk. And we need to be teaching our girls to be strong. That's what Paul says, mm. you know, put on the whole armor, mm. you know, and and to stand against wrong things. And so, you know, we need to do that. We need to rethink teachings on purity. You know, purity is important. But, you know, um, when Elizabeth, um, I can't think of her last name, when she was when she was kidnapped, Smart. Elizabeth oh, Smart. Yeah, yeah. At 14, she said when her kidnapper first raped her, her first thought was, now nobody will want me. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you have in your youth group, 
girls mm-hmm. and boys who have been abused. Mm-hmm. You know, so to talk to them like you're a piece of chewed gum if mm-hmm. you've been involved sexually mm-hmm. is is you know we need to rethink mm-hmm. what we're saying. You know, a, a, a woman's value is never based on her sexual purity. Mm-hmm. It's based on the fact that she's the Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I think we need to re- rethink what we're teaching men and boys, you know, not, not that you have, you're, you're in charge. You have to be the, the man. Mm-hmm. Um, but that God has entrusted power. They have power and that power can be used redemptively and incredibly mm-hmm. like Joseph, yeah. you know, he used his power. Mm-hmm. He didn't shed his power. Mm-hmm. He used it, um, but not to gratify himself or vindicate himself. He used it at a cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think that's really good. Sorry, Carolyn, interrupt. Like just the idea of like, what does it mean to be a man? Like besides anatomically, like just who defines that and culturally. And so that's the question that I mean, I was at a year or two ago, we yeah. watched a movie, uh, a, a documentary together with other men. And then afterwards you said like, what does it mean to be a man? Besides biologically, like what does it mean in our culture to be a man? And how mm-hmm. different or similar is that to what the biblical understanding is, what yeah. masculinity is? So I agree with you on a lot of that rethinking that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because it really does. you think, well, I know, like I'm a man. I know what it means to be a man. Yeah. It took me six months of wrestling with that. What does it mean for me to actually be a man? And, um, and the funny thing is, isn't that funny? It took me so long and, to think and, through that. <laughs> well, and Jesus doesn't land in the center of that conversation. Yeah, that's a but good point. He is the one who yeah. lived out what it means mm. to be a man, and mm. he violated everything in patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it, he did, and um, and he and he used his power. Mm-hmm, he used mm-hmm. his power, but it was never yeah. a self-centered. Yeah. And that was part of my definition that I finally landed at. <laughs> Good. That you know, women have power too and strength too, but that a, a a true biblical man is one who uses his power for the benefit of others, not himself. Now that may be oversimplifying it, but for me, I'm just thinking through the power and strength that God gives me, the arrows point out to be used mm. to steward and help others, not make sure the power and all the arrows go inward. Well, and that's what but, we get at creation. You know, yeah, God yeah. created male and female to rule outward, mm. to to rule for flourishing. Mm. And and that's how he God used his power to mm. empower mm. his image bearers mm-hmm. and you know, after the fall, it gets used in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm. Carolyn, I, I one thing that I I've, I've noticed just in this conversation is you seem to be pretty passionate about this. Um <laughs> And why is this so important to you personally? Well, I, I, I think for me, I've had to wake up as a woman. Mm. And, um, you know, I grew up thinking that I would build my life around my husband mm. and children. And um, I didn't understand that God expected so much of me. And what mm. what turned the tide for me was not Deborah or Priscilla or Junia. It was Ruth. Mm, and wow. it was the re- scholars have been digging more in the book of Ruth. And the whole book 
has changed. They're talking about the book of Ruth as a Job story. It's Whoa. a female Job. Mm. Well, we don't, we just throw Naomi to the curb. Mm. And they talk about Ruth initiating the action. Mm. That she is initiating proposals to Boaz. She's reinterpreting mm. Mosaic law as an undocumented immigrant, a scavenger in his field, a brand new believer to somebody who's been raised on Mosaic law and who is in impeccable compliance mm. with it. And she pushes him to the spirit of the law every time. Wow. The letter of the law says, let them glean. The spirit of the law says, feed them. Mm. And because he listens to her, because he learns from her, because he changes and grows it's just an explosion of gospel living in the old testament ruth takes home in a single day of labor more than his male harvesters would take home it would take them a half of a month to a month to take home as much as she took home in one day it's the turning point for naomi when she her faith in God revives. He hasn't forgotten his hesed to the living and the dead. And at the, at the threshing floor, Naomi is sending her for a husband because she's, she knows Ruth will probably outlive her and be stranded. Mm. She wants her to come under a male umbrella. Boaz is an older man. He's a man of stature in the community. He had to have already married and produced sons. Mm -hmm. He's not a bachelor. You don't have bachelors as mm -hmm. honorable men in patriarchal cultures. Mm -hmm. They have to raise sons for the next generation, mm -hmm. for the family to survive. And Naomi's family is dying out. So she sends Ruth to get a husband. Ruth throws things into a legal situation because she throws the kinsman redeemer law and the leveret law at him. And he's beyond the reach of both of those laws. He's not the nearest relative. He's not a blood brother, but she's trying. The kinsman redeemer is about real estate mm. and the leveret law is about marrying the widow of a man who, in the, your brother who has died without a male heir. Mm. So she's throwing both of those at him and, and the nearer relative refuses to do it because he says it will ruin me. And I think it ruined Boaz because mm. she produces a son. That son becomes Elimelech's heir. When Samuel comes to anoint David, he goes to Elimelech's property because mm. that's where they live. Mm. But when I heard the word initiate, for Ruth, that was a word I was taught was not in my vocabulary. Wow. And I have to say, I was totally undone mm. because, you know, this means it's for all of God's daughters, not just the ones who want to be senior pastors or be ordained or be on the leadership team. Ruth was nobody mm. in that culture. You valued women by the number of their sons. She had no sons. Mm. So she's a zero but she's an undocumented immigrant. So she's mm. below zero. She is nothing. Mm. And she's the one and God's using her to advance his purposes for the world. So mm. I don't, I'm passionate about this because nobody gets left out. Mm -hmm. It's about all of God's daughters. Wow. It's about little girls. It's about elderly women. It's about somebody who's scavenging for 
food out in the field, (laughs) you know, Mm. it's, it's all of his image bearers. Mm. And I have grieved what I wasted Mm. and the fact that, you know, I didn't think I had responsibility. Mm. I'm an image bearer. Mm -hmm. I have a load of responsibility that comes with that, Mm. you know, so yeah, yeah, I feel passionate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love your phrase, nobody gets left yeah. out. So that's, good. That's amazing. And of the many books that I've read of yours, the Ruth book is my favorite. It's the one that I recommend the most. So if listeners, if you're listening to this and going, what was that, Ruth? That was a lot of information. I couldn't take enough notes fast enough. Uh Check out Carolyn's book on Ruth. And there's it's, two uh, now. I have oh, is that two. right? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. well, we're, we'll put those in the show notes. <laughs> and we're really grateful for your willingness to share your perspective, your passion, your story, and why this is important, as well as give us some important resources. Again, we'll put those in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, to make sure that, uh, that our listeners have that. But thank you again for coming on. This has been a real oh, treat. Thank you. Yeah, we really, this was a heavier conversation than what we've been accustomed to with the Monday Morning Pastor. Yeah, it is heavier than normal, but it is important. And just because something's important uh, or heavy doesn't mean it's not important and we should deal with it. And we really felt like Carolyn needed to share this because this is pervasive in the church and needs to be talked about. Absolutely. And I mean, I kid you not, for for those that are listening, I wish you could have seen the animation of Carolyn as she speaks about this. She's <laughs> yeah. so passionate. And I feel like she was so, even in the heavy stuff, my, my sense is I, I, I keep thinking about Joseph and I've never thought about the character that of Joseph. was amazing. From that perspective. And what what would it look like for for pastors, both men and women, to raise uh, to raise Ruths and Josephs in their churches? Yeah, that's great. I mean, my goodness, so 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 good. Yeah, even reframing the Ruth story, as I mentioned, that commentary is or that that book she wrote is fantastic, and and I would highly re- recommend that to our listeners. Um, but even I, I want to go back and reread. Ruth and obviously, Me too. <laughs> you know, around Christmas here, like rereading the Joseph story um, of being really important in this process. But um, yeah, Doug, you and I were, were talking just as we stopped recording with Carolyn about, you know, thinking of even of those pastors out there who may have experienced sexual abuse. This isn't just for others out there. This may be for you, or maybe it's a family member you know, a spouse or a child or an, or a sister or a brother who's experienced that. And so we understand that this might have brought on a lot of thoughts and shame and memories and guilt. And so we just want to be sensitive to that and say that we your story is important too. Mm-hmm. And so these resources that we have listed in the show notes are for you too, not just to help others with it, but maybe even for you to receive some help that maybe you've never received before. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, JR, there, I don't really have anything else to say. I think you're right on there. This, this, my sense is that because there's so much shame and guilt attached with sexual abuse, this is one of those topics that unfortunately in the church, it just has not been discussed. And even, and again, even thinking through the way that it, it happens within the scripture and how we need to talk about it and name it. Um, but I think even leaving our listeners with that hope of if that, if that has been you, uh, yeah, we just pray that this has maybe sparked some healing. 
maybe this is an opportunity for you to experience the love of Christ uh, radically uh, invading this space and coming to a new place of newfound freedom and and hope. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, normally we end with resources and questions, but I think we've listed um, some resources. Carolyn gave us some. We'll put those again in the show notes. Um, but we can't ignore this. This is too important. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's devastating. But simply ignoring it and turning the other way isn't the answer either. And so um, we know many of you are depleted on a Monday. You may be listening to this where our goal is not to burden you or make this heavy or discouraging. But we also want to make sure that while we have fun on this podcast, we also deal with really hard and important and significant issues that are pressing for our listeners and for the church and for the world. And so this is why we feel like this is important. We know there are way more questions that you may have. What about this? And what about that? And when it comes to Me Too and Church Too, it's very complicated and complex and multi-layered. And so there's no way we addressed all of the potential uh angles, questions, topics, perspectives, situations, but we at least felt like this is an important conversation to begin to talk about and then list those resources there. Absolutely. And for for those that are really interested in in diving further into this, uh, Carolyn is offering a six-hour seminar that she did. It's in the show notes. You can click to it, but at an amazingly discounted prices for uh, the Monday Morning Pastor folks. So we hope that you have an opportunity to check that out if that's if that's something that would be helpful for you. And we'll have a great week, pastors. We're grateful for you. The work that you do is so important, whether people see it or not, whether there's fruit there or not that we can point to. Um, continue to be faithful to know that Jesus is enough and that you're not initiating anything. He initiates everything. We are simply responding humbly and confidently to what God is doing in and through us and in and throughout the world. So God bless and bless God.